Hey friends, thanks so much for following the Your Story Matters platforms and also this brand new podcast, the Your Story Matters podcast. I collected a lot of these stories from survivors to share of their journey of survivorship, healing and recovery from abuse. It helps us understand by listening to somebody else's experience. It serves as a guidepost into opening up our understanding that two things, we're not alone and it wasn't our fault. So I thank you for joining me on this journey. Also, be sure to follow me on another brand new platform, Substack. I'm going to be releasing articles and other media content on that very soon. So go to Substack and search Brandon Dempsey, and I'll see you there. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get to our podcast, Season 1, Episode 1 of Mary DeMuth. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Confessions of a Worship Leader podcast with Brandon Dempsey. Confessions of a Worship Leader is born out of crazy and heartbreaking ministry experiences by Brandon Dempsey to help you as a worship or ministry leader. Now, it's time to confess the mess. Here's Brandon. Hey, worship and ministry leaders. Thanks for following and downloading Confessions of a Worship Leader. My name is Brandon Dempsey of worshipteamtraining.com and the author of this podcast and site, coming book. If you are or were in a place where you have been burned, damaged, or discouraged by ministry, then this podcast is site. It's just for you. These are my stories and those of our guest friends about to share their crazy, heartbreaking church ministry experiences, just like we got Zach Lambert sitting here with us, and he's about to speak. And we share them out with other candid topics with you just to help you in your walk as a worship or ministry leader. So let's get right to it. Today's confession, the inside job. Today's special guest, Zach Lambert. Let's get ready to confess the mess, people. Church staff victimized by spiritual and pastoral abuse are often left feeling shocked and traumatized. We can't get away from it. We see it all over our news. We see the big mega church that's going on around today that we do not want to mention the name, who must not be named, but uh, mystified and how such treatment should occur in our church homes, and we have staff members that feel abandoned, um, even members by their Christian family, those who are not even a part of the church, feel alone, and to speculate about what went wrong about them and who they can trust. Spiritual abuse can also lead to staff members that can result in anxiety, post-traumatic stress, uh, burnout, and other disorders, albeit from an inside job. So let's talk about our conf- our confessional guest today, Zach W. Lambert. I met him on Twitter, Instagram about probably a month ago, and we just had some great conversations by phone. And I thought, man, I really want to have this guy come on uh, to shed some light of his experience and expertise on today's subject matter. So he is the lead pastor and founder of Restore Austin, a church in urban Austin, Texas, downtown that is. And he holds a master of theology and serves on the boards of Restore Houston, Louder Than Silence, and a nonprofit of survivors of sexual violence. Awesome. And love the Austin Church Planning Network. You can find him at Restore Austin, which is south on South Congress, downtown Austin in that area. You can find them on their site, RestoreAustin.org, and on Twitter, at Zach, what's spelled Z-A-C-H-W Lambert. 
So we'd like to welcome to the confessional booth, Zach Lambert. How are you today, Zach? I'm great, Brandon. I'm so excited to do this, man. Hey, thanks, dude. I'm so pumped that we are linking up today to do this. So thanks for coming on. Absolutely, man. I love that we're in the in the same general area, man. It's uh, good to meet a fellow, yeah. a fellow Austin, uh, greater Austinite. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we're greater. We're we're way out, and uh, you know, don't want to mention where we are. But anyway, it's uh, it's great, man, that we can be here together and uh, to do more things because we share a lot of things that are like minded. And I love how that we can combine forces, if you will, to speak into the heart of people that are hurting. And that's really Absolutely. what it's about. Yes, it is. So, with that being said. Um, Spiritual abuse is not about a pastor or a leader having a bad day. It's it's it can be taken it out on a staff member. It's not about uh, it's not about being strict, demanding, or opinionated or picky. But spiritual abuse occurs when pastors and other ministries in positions of authority use power or influence of control to manipulate, otherwise demean, and exploit staff associates, staff members, worship leaders, whoever. And it can happen over time or it can happen in a catastrophic event. But more importantly, spiritual abuse can be influenced by outside pressures. But the real pressure is felt behind church doors where it's an inside job, none like any other. So, Zach, first question. I really want to hear you knock this out, man. Are spiritually abusive churches real? And how is this also viewed by staff in the church? Is it an inside job? It's a great question. Um, yes, I mean, I think they, they are absolutely real. Um, I can attest to uh, even being on staff at, at spiritually abusive churches. I do think it's probably important to clarify that um, very rarely do you have like an entire church um, church, you know, being more than the building or the ministries or any of that. It's, it's the, the group of people um, that are in it, the group of people that lead it. So it's rare to have an entire body, a local church body, right. be abusive. Um, so we'll make that distinction. And I, I, but I think it's important to say that I don't think that makes the problem less prevalent. I think it makes it more prevalent um, because what happens then is that you end up having spiritually abusive leaders in a myriad of churches and church positions. And even in some of the most beautiful church expressions, there can be church abuse and spiritual abuse that takes place. Um, yeah. And I've, I've seen it firsthand. Um, I'm reminded of a, a story um, from a church that I was on staff with where um, the, the expectation uh, was not just placed on the pastoral staff, but on the pastoral staff spouses and children and families as well to keep up this very specific appearance of what a, a pastor is supposed to be. And I know you know exactly what I'm talking about there. Um, yeah. And th the pressure would get to people. All the time, um, and, and this was a, a fairly fundamentalist place where uh, there were there were contracts and covenants signed about alcohol and R-rated movies and all kinds of stuff that we could or could not do. Um, right. And we actually had a staff member while I was there um, who, because of mounting pressures and a bunch of other you know, trauma um, in his life, uh, developed a, a drug addiction and uh, ended up getting caught um, because he would, would visit church members in their homes under the guise of praying with them and uh, doing pastoral counseling with them 
Um, but he was struggling so badly that he would actually uh, excuse himself, go to the bathroom and raid medicine cabinets of um, anyone that he could he could find wow. um, and get his hands on anything that he could get his hands on. And when that happened, um, the the amount of uh, I, I think we would all hope if that happened to us and we were that we were struggling so badly that a church would rally around us. Right. And, and get us the help that we need, um, take our families under their wings and uh, and do everything we can. They could to help bring healing and hope to a really broken, difficult situation. Um, but that was kind of the opposite of what happened um, in this story, sadly, um, because not only was this guy just completely cut off and sent away immediately, um, but I was actually in the room when his wife was brought in um, by one of the executive pastoral staff members and uh, she was berated um, by the staff members for her quote unquote complicity um, in her husband's uh, drug addiction and was told things like if if you were just uh, uh, more attractive, if you hadn't let yourself go, if you had done more to take care of the kids and the house and all, none of this would have happened and placing this blame on her shoulders um, and using so uh, perversions of scripture to do that. Right. And I think right. that's where the spiritual abuse comes in, right? Because it's not, right. obviously right. you sit in a room like that and it, it's, it's abuse. You, you see it directly, but the spiritual abuse comes in when um, the, the word of God or the, the things of God are perverted and manipulated in order to exalt, uh, uh, as you said, to um, show power over another, um, to make another one feel small or to manipulate them into doing something that is for the purpose of the church leadership. And um, I've seen a lot of examples in my time. That was probably the most egregious, though. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it just amazes me how we try to justify um, Scripture or our own beliefs that are, you know, really it's it inherently is just for the, uh, the power of the pastor or mm -hmm. the power of the church of the image, like what you say. And, um, in, in, you know, in spiritually abusive environments like a church staff, uh, many people can be treated poorly, uh, wrongfully mishandled, and, and even terminated, uh, suffering tremendous loss, like the individual that you just spoke of. Mm -hmm. uh, they feel that at the end, their pro their professional identity is gone. Uh, they experience the death of a dream. Feeling spiritually useless, some are so broken that they just wind up leaving ministry and church altogether. Where have we gone wrong? Oh, man. Well, I think you said it. In the question, when you mentioned professional identity, um, I, I've uh, I've been in working in churches since I was 19. I'm 33 now, um, and so the, the vast majority of my adult life has been spent on church staffs. And it was not until um, probably about eight years ago um, that I began to understand that um, I had a professional identity and that I had a uh, Christian yeah. identity, right? And yeah. that those things were not the same. Um, and it, it, I'll just share a personal experience of having to really sure. come to grips with that. Um, I, I was, uh, um, I, I ended up stepping away from a church environment that was abusive um, and did not have any prospects. I was still in seminary, did not know if I wanted to be in church ministry ever again um, because of the abuse that I'd suffered and the abuse that I'd seen uh, placed on other people. Um, and 
it, I did not realize how much my professional identity as a pastor and my Christian identity as a, as just a son of God were completely overlapping. You know, like, like they always say, if it was a Venn diagram, there would be, it was just one circle, you know, instead of, instead of like overlapping just a little bit. And I really struggled because when I stepped away from this pastoral role, still in seminary, taking classes, and I was trying to finish up. But again, I, I didn't really think that I wanted to be in church ministry anymore. And I completely lost my professional identity. And that felt like losing my just identity. You know, no no professional uh, adjective needed before that. It, this was just my entire self felt like it was gone. And Brandon, I remember every night after that happened, I was a fairly newlywed. Um, and my wife would, would, you know, go to sleep. We'd watch some TV, have some dinner, go to, she'd go to sleep. And I would just sit on my couch in our living room and I would just weep. Um, because I just felt like I had nothing left that everything had been taken away. And it was not until, uh, I mean, it took months, maybe even a good couple of years for me to realize that my professional identity in my identity as a child of God were totally separate and that God did not love me any more or less as a pastor or not a pastor. Um, that I had been completely transformed by his love and by the Holy spirit and that there was nothing I could do to make him love me any more or any less. And, um, and I began to try to live from that identity of who Jesus says that I am and who he's made me to be rather than what a church would tell me. And again, back to our original point, that is a tactic used by many spiritually abusive leaders is to say, if you are not on staff here, which means if you are not completely complying with every single one of my directives, no matter how abusive they might be, then you are not really going to be um, a a child of God anymore. God is not going to be happy with you. God is going to shun you. And I don't think I've never heard like, you know, you're going to lose your salvation necessarily, but those things are wrapped up very closely together. Um, And I, I felt that sitting on the couch every night, weeping, thinking my whole life was going. Yeah. That's just, that's awful. Um, I've had similar experiences too, where, uh, the pastor would say, you know, if you're not fully bought in yes. using that kind of phraseology, yeah. you're not with us. Yeah. And you're right. It, it, they don't come out and say, well, you're going to lose your salvation. Maybe right. some do. Sure. Right. But uh, but they say it in subtle ways like, you know, if, you must not be a, a complete full Christian. Like, what does that mean anyway? Right. They look at your wife. Right. Yeah. And your wife is not maybe fully involved like you are. Yeah. Uh, my question to one pastor one time was, wait a minute. Who hired? Who did you hire in this job? Me or my wife? You know. Yeah. And I'm like, well, and I had one pastor say, "Well, we hired you both." Wow. I'm like, "Well, you better fire one of us because both of us are not working." <laughs> That's know? a good line. Um, yeah, but it's just, uh, you know, you you say this. Let me, let me just go to your Twitter. Uh, this caught my attention. You said this today, and from the time that we recorded this already, it's it's going to be, you know. A, a little bit of time passed, but you say gaslighting is not a fruit of the spirit. What about ism is not a fruit of the spirit. Mockery is not about the fruit of the spirit. Condensation, uh, uh, con- did I say that right? Condem- Condem- condensation is not a fruit of the spirit. Stereotyping is not a fruit of the spirit. Manipulation is not fruit of the spirit. So what is the fruit of the spirit? <laughs> and, and where did you come from? Where, where did this all come up from anyway? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, 
condescension. I always have trouble with that word too. Uh, condescension. Yeah, condescension. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think, I think, yeah, condensation is also not a fruit of the spirit, but I, it's That's not when bad. You're tired. That's it's when not you're bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, here's the thing. I, I think that um, I, scripture is is massive and it's vast, and it was written, you know, over a couple of thousand years by a couple of dozen authors and across languages and time and place and culture and all of that stuff. And so it doesn't speak with absolute consistency on on a number of different things, right? It has a number of voices of God's people coming through and God's voice right. itself coming through and all of that stuff. But right. I do think that one very um, consistent theme, specifically throughout the New Testament, is that you will know a Christian by their fruit. Is right. that you will yes. know who is a follower of Jesus by the yes. way that they behave. And, and right. the fruit is not some amorphous idea. It is very specifically listed, right? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So I think my assertion here is that some of these tactics, really all of these tactics used by spiritually abusive leaders, things that you just mentioned, like gaslighting and mockery and stereotyping and manipulation and all of these things, that they are not fruits of the spirit. Obviously, they do not lead to more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc., in our lives or in the world. And so we can very easily say these things are not of Jesus. These things are not appropriate to happen in Christ-centered settings. And I think that has to be the filter through which we view everything that has the label of Christian. Because like you said, you we might hear some things like, if you're not for us, you're against us. If you're not all bought in, if right. you're not on the team. Um, right. I mean, you know, yeah. Driscoll's famous for that whole like, get on the bus or get run over by the bus, you know, oh, language that. stuff that's awful. Yeah. Um, you run that through the filter of, is this causing me to exhibit more fruit of the spirit? Is this bringing about more fruit of the spirit in our church and in the world? And if the right. answer is no, and especially right. if the answer is actually it's hindering love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, yes, all of absolutely. these things, then that has, you have to be able to stand up and say, no, this is not of God. This is not what a Christian is supposed to be doing. This is not what a follower of Christ is supposed to be exhibiting. And I'm not going to be a part of it. Now, I'm not, that's a lot easier said than done, depending on the situation that you're in. And I would not fault anyone who has struggled through these abusive systems and their complicity in them and all of that stuff, because it is incredibly difficult to, to make those moves. But I think that has to be the filter through which we run everything. Is this exhibiting more? Is this helping me exhibit more fruit of the spirit? And is it causing more fruit of the spirit to be exhibited in our church? And I, love in the world? I love that. Wow. You know, and so many, so many pastors are that I've seen, uh, not all of them, and we're not talking about all the pastors, by Absolutely. the way, on, on this recording, you know, because I know a lot of pastors um, that are deep hearted, fruit of the spirit, and would give their life to anybody walking in. But it's sad when you can't say that about other pastors that would not give their lives to others when they walk in in the way that Jesus did. Um, you know, as we think about today's society, so much of the world's success, as we know, has crept into the church where mm -hmm. the church has become another version of the Oscars or <laughs> the Grammys. And, you know, um, most people and there's nothing wrong with being successful in, in the real world Absolutely. or being successful in ministry or in the church. But I think when success starts to take over the the pastor's uh, goal, because now it's more pride driven. Mm -hmm. It's when, you know, expectations now 
are not met by that pastor. And reality is they they first blame themselves because I failed now if not being a successful church or a successful pastor. So let's go deep. Let's go deep with this. Right. So you guys um, buckle your seatbelts from (laughs) this confessional booth and we don't have a lot of space here. But, you know, as an unintentional, maybe to some pastors, as it may be, there are church pastors that do panic about the pressure. They when they not only blame themselves, but they blame other staff members and those who do not meet those expectations and they lack the success of meeting those goals. They also don't want to be this now goes into the pastor not wanting to be outshined by other staff members or shown up by other members that come into the church or non-members that don't come to the church. Uh, so many of these pastors want to assume all the credit or all the spiritual credit of what their church looks like, what they need to look like. Right. Um, But when you have that happening, what kinds of effects does this have on staff members that they lead? And what kind of effect does this have on the members? And then lastly, which is more importantly, what kind of effects does this have on people that are in our community that no longer want to be a part of that church? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. I, I do think that you're exactly right. I think you've diagnosed a major problem in the Western church, and that is that right. we have um, we have defined success in a way that I think is it's pretty difficult to back up uh, biblically. Um, and that is that I, I think you know so much of um, I, we have to ask this question a lot, and this is a difficult question because uh, we are so bathed in this world. But what we have to ask, you know, is the success that we're talking about in church more driven by, um, you know, glamour and, and capitalism and all of these things that we just live and breathe as Americans all the time? Um, because is success bigger buildings and bigger budgets and more people in the seats and all of these types of things? Or is success simply faithfulness? And I think that the best biblical scriptural argument is that to be successful as a Christian, um, the goal really is faithfulness and you kind of let God take care of everything else. Um, But when that doesn't happen, when the scorecard um, is uh, all of these other measures that... um, you know, may or may not actually be biblical or helpful, then I think there's some real difficult things that come in. Um, and I do think we need an overall change of scorecard when it comes to assessing how are we being successful and what does it look like to be successful. But, but here's the thing, what you celebrate, what you call success, what you celebrate is is emulated. Right. And so if for your staff members, if if it's just attendance, right, you want the most people possible in the church, then that is what is going to be um, emulated. If what you celebrate is going to be emulated. And so what happens a lot of times, though, is that if they somebody feels so much pressure to achieve certain measures of success and they're not achieving those things, then what can happen is a lot of manipulation and spiritual abuse can take place in order to try to achieve some results, right? Um, And people can feel like projects instead of like individual image bearers because we're just trying to, you know, get them in the machine so that the machine can keep running. That's staff members, that's volunteers, that's leaders. And instead, like, and if, if some leader or staff member is having an issue, 
You know, instead of slowing down and diverting our attention and saying, how do we care for this child of God, this image bearer in the best way possible right now, we just move them out of the way because the machine has to keep going and we plug somebody else into that slot. And what ends up happening is there's so many, so much brokenness left behind, like to bring it back to the the bus metaphor, there's so many bodies behind the bus. And, um, and I think that the question then has to become, are we really following Jesus when that happens? Um, or are we more influenced by some worldly or American definition of success, which actually leads to some pretty deep brokenness? You're listening to the Confessions of a Worship Leader podcast with Brandon Dempsey. Subscribe to the Confessions of a Worship Leader podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Confessions of a Worship Leader on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, iTunes, and YouTube. Well, what what do you say to staff members that are in that bus and they don't have a door or a window, mm-hmm. or at least they don't see one in order how to get out? Man, I think the first thing I would say is I've been there um, and I get it. I get the feeling that there's no other option here. Um, but I would say that, that there, there always is, there's always another option and that, um, there's all the caveats of, of being wise and making sure that you're not, um, you know, neglecting any responsibility you have as as a family, um, as a, as a leader of your family or anything like that. But that there are, I think when, when we take faithful steps of following Jesus and that can look like stepping away from spiritually abusive environments, we take those faithful steps to follow Jesus that he shows up. I've just seen it over and over and over again. And sometimes he shows up in the most kind of miraculous spiritual ways. Like, you know, I randomly get a a check in the mail from somebody that you don't even know right when you need it, or um, you just have this, this incredible peace in your spirit that surpasses all understanding. Sometimes he also shows up in, in his hands and feet of brothers and sisters of people just coming alongside you to wrap you up, to let you cry on their shoulder. Um, after I stepped away from that church environment and was so done with ministry that I was weeping every night on the couch, I remember I was going to seminary and because I was working at that church previously so much, I didn't end up really knowing so many people in seminary because I would literally go to class, get, get there late, leave early. So I get back to the church and work, work, work. Right. And so I, I kind of start being on campus a little bit more now that I'm unemployed and uh, I start meeting a few people and I meet this professor and this guy just has, you know, he just radiates the fruit of the spirit, like we were talking about a second ago. And so I asked him, I said, if you could work at any church in our greater city area, um, where would you work? And he said, you know, I could, I could give you a list, but I'm just going to give you one because I think that that is where, like, I just feel like God's telling me that's where you need to be. And I trusted this individual and said, okay. And so I went and I met with this pastor and this pastor was a pastor of a, a, a mega church, um, you know, three, 4,000 people. Um, but he just had lunch with me just out of, I didn't know me from Adam. We sat down and eat lunch and we ended up sitting at lunch for three hours. And I don't think that um, he uh, did anything except ask me questions and tell me that I was loved and tell me that he was sorry about what I walked through um, and ended up he and his wife took me and my wife really under their wings. And we spent, uh, about four years with them. Um, and then even after launching restore years and years with them afterwards as our kind of mentors and spiritual parents. And, 
Um, I would say that uh, I experienced some really deep, difficult spiritual abuse at the hands of a pastor, but I've also experienced spiritual healing um, at the hands of a pastor as the Holy Spirit worked through um, this couple that I mentioned. And um, I, I would, it's very easy to say, I, w- I would certainly not be in church ministry or pastoral ministry without that. And I'll tell you, like I, same thing I would tell, tell the person who doesn't feel like they have a way off the bus, that I felt that and that, <laughs> that Jesus still showed up and he showed up in the most miraculous way. And I wouldn't trade that journey for anything. Hmm. Wow. That's amazing. You, you know, what came to mind for me was um, when we talk about pastors and um, people who help us in life, uh, we tend to go back to uh, the famous adage uh, that we uh, from, uh, what, is it Mark Twain, who said that we stand on the shoulders of mm-hmm. those who've gone before us. Yes. Um, you know, I, I think it's also we were also carried by them, too. In oh, their that's arms, good. Yes. You know, absolutely. And uh, so, like, um, tell us now, like, now, now let's get to the personal side, if you would, yeah. if you don't mind, of, of Zach Lambert. Absolutely. What's your story? So, I, I grew up here in Austin and um, I uh, spent my first 18 years here. I grew up in a uh, fairly fundamentalist church, um, uh, but uh, it, it was just kind of a you know, my grandparents had been it. My parents were in it. Um, and, uh, and my parents were really great folks. Um, I think, uh, my home was not fundamentalist, but the, the places that we were in religiously and spiritually were, um, and then my parents were also in vocational ministry, um, not in church ministry, but in parachurch ministry. And so I grew up in a situation where seven days a week, I was doing something in the name of God, um, and I hated it, Brandon. Like I just, I just hated all of it. Um, and even from a really early age, I, I just found the, the picture of God I'd been exposed to, to be angry and belligerent and, um, vindictive even, and that he was just constantly waiting for me to step out of line so that he could smite me. And, um, and I always had trouble kind of following the rules anyway. And I think when we're faced with that much kind of legalism and fundamentalism, there's really just two choices, right? You either fake it and you, you become, um, you know, uh, like the religious leaders we see in scripture sometimes who just pretend to be pious. Right. Um, or you turn your back completely on it and you just say, I'm out, I can't do this anymore. And so I did the, I did the second one. Um, and was actually kicked out of church as a, a 13 year old, um, my youth pastor, uh, I'll, I'll do a quick story here, but I was constantly in trouble all throughout church, uh, Sunday school, youth group, all of that stuff. And it culminated, um, I think I was a seventh, sixth, seventh grader, 12, 13 years old. And, um, a lot of times during our youth group Bible studies, I would be asked to go sit in the hallway because I was being disruptive. But a lot of times it was because I was asking questions and I didn't believe a lot of the things that were being said. And I'd done, you know, some reading on my own. And um, I had some some questions, profound stuff about doubts and struggles that I had with the way things were being expressed. And so I remember one time it was really right near Easter. I think it was the week of Easter. So it was on a Wednesday night and the youth pastor is talking about Jesus on the cross And um, he says, you know, Jesus is on the cross and he takes all of our sin on him. And God is so, you know, he's so perfect. He can't be around any of that sin. And so he just turns his back on Jesus and he leaves them all alone. And I asked, wouldn't that make God just like a terrible father? 
right? Like his son is in the, the worst possible place imaginable and God just turns his back. And, you know, how is that possible? You tell me he's good, but that doesn't seem good, you know? And again, instead of answering the question, it was just go in the hallway. And that night when uh, youth group Fair ended, question. well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and uh, when the youth group ended, my parents came and picked me up. My youth pastor pulled us aside and he said, your son's no longer allowed to be involved in youth group at all. He's oh, wow. asking too many questions. He's causing other kids to doubt their faith. And so from that moment, I was already on the fringes and the margins of church anyway, but I knew I don't have a place here. And so my life really went in the complete other direction. I began searching for identity and belonging and, and anything and everything else. And so um, from a pretty young age, I was, I was playing sports and uh, I was pretty good at football, which meant I started hanging out with guys that were a lot older than me. So I think 12, 13 years old was when I started drinking and smoking weed for the first time. And um, throughout kind of late junior high and high school, uh, really all I did was kind of play sports and party. Um, and the drugs kind of got harder and harder until when I was 17, I overdosed and out here on the lake in Austin with some friends. And, um, the, the night after that had happened, um, I was back out on the lake with those same friends and, uh, somebody in a boat next to us, um, overdosed and drowned. And we watched it happen. We were the ones that pulled him out of the water. And I remember vividly police fire department are all there. And I'm looking at this guy laying on the dock and we're all wet and, um, you know, he's, he's gone. And, uh, I really started asking these, you know, these big questions of life, like, why am I here? And is God real? And what is my, what am I supposed to be doing with my life and all of these things? And I really felt like I should give Christianity and uh, another shot because I was like, maybe I, maybe I missed something here. Um, cause everybody that I knew was kind of into it. My parents, my grandparents, you know, all that stuff. But I really didn't like, like I said, the version of it that I was understanding. And so I just started reading the Bible. Thank God I, I opened the Gospels and I started reading about, about Jesus. And I'll tell you, Brandon, I knew the first and last chapters really well. You know, I knew Christmas and Easter, the birth and the death and the resurrection. I knew all that, but I had no idea about the life of Jesus and what he was like and how he interacted with people and how he was willing to get in trouble all the time with religious and political officials for hanging out with the wrong people and uh, breaking laws. And I mean, just all the time, it was just incredible. And I, I, I really identified with like the tax collectors and prostitutes in the stories. And it was like, wow, Jesus is willing to get in trouble to hang out with people like me. Um, yeah. And it just changed everything. And it's as trite as it might sound, I just fell in love with Jesus and who he was and that, that person. And so um, at 17, I, I became a Christian and I gave my life to Christ that I want to give this thing a real shot. Um, I called the one person I knew who was a Christian who I did not find um, to be kind of judgmental and mean. And that was a girl that I'd grown up with. And as uh, she'd moved since then, um, but we went to lunch as 17 year olds. Uh, she was like, you know, perfect youth group, head of her class, purity culture, but you know, the whole thing. Um, and I told her all the things that I've been doing. And I really expected her to get up and walk away from this lunch table as I was such a heathen, but she didn't, she just was genuinely gracious and loving and happy for what Jesus was doing in my life. And she, I remember thinking she's like the Jesus I read about, like, this is how I would think he would act if I was having lunch with him. And, um, absolutely changed everything again at that point. And, uh, thankfully, um, she didn't kick me to the curb too quickly and we ended up dating and now we're married and have two That's kids awesome. and all that. Yeah. So, wow. um, her name's Amy and she's, she's unbelievable. And 
so from there we got married and uh, went to college, got married, and then I went to seminary and worked at some churches that I just described. And that last church where the pastor really took me under his wing was kind of our main sending church to move here to Austin in summer of 2015. And we launched Restore February of 2016. So our church just turned six and um, have always been a church where our, our vision is that um, anyone would have a seat at the table and everyone would experience the extravagant love of Jesus. Yeah. And, right. um, so many people, I used to think that people with church hurt was like a niche. Um, but it's a huge niche if it is. Um, I mean, it's a huge segment of the population. And, uh, so the vast majority of our church, according to the last survey, we did about 70 or 75% of our church, um, did not come directly from another church. They'd been out of church because of some, you know, struggle or pain point or abuse or something like that for any period of years. And now they found a home at Restore and had their kind of faith in Jesus and the church restored, which is our our whole thing. So it's been a dream. I mean, it's the hardest thing I've ever done besides having kids as planting a church, but um, it's been so beautiful too. So that's a, that's the quick version of Zach's story. All right, we got to pause real quick. Zach, thanks so much, man, for um, sharing your heart. I mean, that's that's a lot. That's a lot to go through, but that's a lot of beauty that you've seen. Yeah. Um, and in relation to our topic, I, I I love to ask this with our guests with every show because I like to get different perspectives on um, how it's become somebody. The scripture verse. James 5.13 that says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Mm-mm. What significance does the scripture hold for you? Oh, that's a good one. Um, you know, I, I I love the book of James. Um, I think it's just the most radical thing that the brother of Jesus could go from you know, being someone's brother and not really believing in it to realizing that, Oh my gosh, my, my older brother's the Messiah and I'm going to dedicate my entire life to following him and leading a church. I just think that's, it's one of the best evidences of resurrection. I think that we have yeah. is that your own brother jumps in and is a part of it. And I love that James doesn't mince words about who we are supposed to be as Christians and in a community who we're supposed to be. And what that verse says to me is that when we are walking through suffering or cheer, when we are going through the highs and lows, the valleys and mountaintops of life, we are not supposed to do those things alone. That when we pray, I don't I don't read that as like, hey, go to your closet and pray by yourself. I read it as come to the assembly, the, the people of God, and, and share your requests and pray together, be uplifted with each other that sing Psalms together when you're going through these things and that the body of Christ really is supposed to be a family that walks through the highs and lows with you. Um, And I've experienced that tremendously at Restore and uh, it's just been the most beautiful thing. Mm. Oh, that is beautiful, Uh, man. I I love it. So people can find you at restoreaustin.org. Your Twitter is at Zach W. Lambert. So. Yes, sir. And yeah, same thing on Instagram at Zach W. Lambert. Happy to connect. And um, yeah, Brandon, this was awesome, man. Man, I love it. Golly, this is so fan- just fantastic. And uh, so, guys, uh, today, that was today's confession. Our guest, Zach W. Lambert. So, Zach, thanks so much for coming on today, brother, and, uh, and sharing your heart and just being so real, so true. 
Well, thank you, Brandon. Thanks for having me. And uh, I just want to say thanks for the important work that you're doing. Um, uh, it's just, it's so needed and so vital. And I'm just grateful for you, bro. Thanks, bro. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that we can connect on this. So uh, I'm, I want to have you back and explore some more topics. We'd love to. Awesome. Well, guys, you heard it here first. Thanks for joining us here on Confessions of a Worship Leader.com. Where no story is too crazy, no heartbreak is too much for God to handle. Mm-hmm. This is the podcast where your story matters and it's worth confessing. Hey, if you'd like to share your experience, hit me up on Instagram or Twitter. That's at Brandon Dempsey. There's no D in my first name. It's B-R-A-N-O-N Dempsey. So be sure to look out for new shows and more special guest interviews, and you'll be notified when these episodes drop, all while you subscribe to the Confessions of a Worship Leader podcast. Until next time, I'm Brandon Dempsey. See you back soon. Thanks for joining us here on Confessions of a Worship Leader. Remember, No story is too crazy. No heartbreak is too much for God to handle. Got a comment, idea, or something to share? DM us on Instagram at Confessions of a Worship Leader or text us at 832-974-0277. If you like this podcast, we ask that you give us a high review and comment on iTunes. This has been a Worship Team Training Digital Production. Confessions of a Worship Leader Podcast. Copyright 2022. Thanks for listening. And be sure to join us again right here on the Confessions of a Worship Leader Podcast.